Welcome to Big Facts No Cap, the only show that's number one with guys with dad bods and bikers who ride rad hogs. It's Paul and Adrian. Let's go. Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap Big Facts No Cap My friend was telling me the other day about a Netflix series about people who do flower arrangements, who have like a show on Netflix, like a competition great, uh, British Bake Off style show. And she was talking about how like uh, one of the couples that's on the show is like a home plant advisor, like consultant, mm. where they just like tell you what uh, plants to put in your house. So I think like, honestly, it's more of like a millennial Portlandia type joke where like uh any job that you're willing to exist or to like will hard enough into the ether will uh work out for you (laughs) i guess that's true i feel like a plant advisor or decorator makes more sense than like just a a consultant for which plants to have in your house depending on the the sunlight and soil ph yeah that makes sense to me and plus there's like the whole environmental benefit like if you get like if you grow them on your roof right like it makes your house have less like impact because you don't need as much cooling or heating if you have the right plants right if you pay for uh big enough venus fly traps you don't need a <laughs> an adt security system for uh potential robbers <laughs> and you can like paint big white dots on them and then they become the uh, <laughs> mario style <laughs> yeah <laughs> in case any italian plumbers try and break into your house i'm getting my buffalo mozzarella back <laughs> if anybody in our audience finances children's books i have created a mock-up for the adventures of tamara marinara so paul i actually have an in on this if you want <laughs> famously and this is one of those things where like like damn dude these parents must have done something right or like in their genetics they just got that juice but um Famously, one of the really uh, high-profile professors at Davis uh, in our grad group, uh, her sister is a uh, child a child storybook um, artist and writer. Oh. A, chi- a, ch- a child storybook author, I guess would be the easiest way to say that. Um, uh, but yeah, I'll give you her name afterwards so you can check out her work. But uh, yeah, both of those uh, siblings doing really cool stuff. Well, well, you saw the cover, Adrian. It wasn't my best work. I did it in like 20 minutes. But you, the idea, is it there? If, if, I, if I make her not, uh, if I redraw her to not be a young Asian man as your uh, critique of it, the cover. I actually kind of liked it because I got like, I got like a real good uh, American Dragon Jake Long vibe from it. <laughs> so if we can get the Jonas Brothers to redo the second season of our storybook, uh, the theme song for it, I think it'd be a real, I think it'll be a hit out the park. All right, well, I, I, you, you were saying you're just going to get me in contact with her, but I, I think you came up with the idea. I wouldn't feel good doing this without you, so I, I need you to be 110% in if we're going to do this, if we're going to sell Tamara Marinera, the teen detective. Uh, I am 150% in. Andiamo, mi paisano. Okay, I think the chef is going to be a very important character who I also put on the cover just because I think fat chefs are funny. Classic. Uh, just like Hunter's mom, obs- we're obsessed with uh, fat uh, chef type figures. <laughs> oh yeah, she did have like a lot of like hand towels, all of her and kitchenware stuff. and yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I never thought about that. Did you? Is that something you mentioned before? Or no, just something that I yeah. pulled from the back of my head. Uh, yeah, I think they uh, they are funny. I like how in the episode when I did my, uh, I guess I didn't really try and gender the voice. I just kind of like it. Ki- it came out, but in my head, I was imagining like um. 
I was playing off of the idea of like a, a an old grandma that puts their pie on the windowsill to cool. So in my mind, it was like an old grandma type figure. But I like how you really took it and like made it into a much more interesting uh, character with a lot more at stake for their buffalo mozzarella. Yeah, no, he's a chef. He needs a buffalo mozzarella to sell at his restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's a signature dish. Yeah, his caprese salad. Famous in that tiny Italian-American town where Tamara Marinara lives. Best in the city. Best in the city. If Clifford can be an idea for a children's book that gains international success, I think Tamara Marinara can make it. She's got, she's got like, panache. She's got tenacity. Yeah, I think... Um... And I think we need more children's storybooks with a strong female lead that's also Italian. Mm. I mean, what is it? What's the last big Italian-American movie to come out? You guessed it. It's Martin Scorsese's... The Irishman? Yeah, it's Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. And that's a horrible representation of Italian-Americans. It shows them all in the mob, Mm. shows them as murderers, as misogynists, as the distrustful, and as bad parents. And so I think... Tamara Marinara can work against those sort of stereotypes. Yeah, and I'm really excited for when we finally do the crossover with Jersey Shore. Um, <laughs> we do a little mix of uh, classic Italian and, uh, you know, expat Italian culture. Jersey Shore is more like third generation. Expat's pretty. Uh, I don't think any of those people have ever been to Italy other than, like, on spring break. I think that's an episode of The Sopranos where one of the guys goes back to Italy and has like a culture shock of like, uh, this is much different than what like a New York Italian, <laughs> or actually, I don't actually even know where The Sopranos is set, but yeah, um, that was like apparently one of the episodes of that show. It is set in New York. I'm actually weird that you bring it up. I am watching through The Sopranos right now. I'm on like episode four of season one. So very, very early. Oh, interesting. Run through. Yeah. It's one of those shows where I just know how it ends because that was like a big, uh, a big thing. Yeah, I also know how it that. ends, which is he's in a restaurant and everybody's looking at him weird and then it just ends yeah so i guess i know the main character lives till the end but other than that i'm pretty much along for the ride you can kind of go anywhere it right now in our modern age and be spoiler free with the sopranos it's not like game of thrones or anything (laughs) like that i think you're basically safe if you want to go around this world and navigate yourself uh trying to avoid soprano spoilies how how do you feel about the discourse around spoilers are you a person who like when somebody starts talking about a piece of media media that you haven't seen yet you get antsy because i've never i try to avoid spoilers for other people's sakes because i know it bothers a lot of people but it's never really bothered me that much like if i hear something it's never felt like it's gonna really ruin anything for me to that level but i don't know how do you feel uh, i think it's gonna be no surprise to the audience that like yeah i don't really care that much um i think it's different from movies than tv shows like I remember when I was torrenting Dexter as a high schooler and watching through that, I like went pretty far along, like just getting most of the show like on my computer as I could just watch it back to back. Uh, and so I realized from a comment on one of the torrent uh, web pages for like the season four finale that his wife died. And so I knew that that happened, but I was still in like season one. So I forgot about it by the time it happened and it hit just as hard. But I think for like a movie where like someone spoils something that like, you know, is an hour and a half, uh, it might have a bigger effect. But I don't know. I think... Um, there's like an actual study about this where uh, they took like classic books you usually usually read in high school and they had like a control group and a treatment group where they spoiled what the ending was. And these are books that typically have like something that's considered a twist to them. Uh, and what they found was that there was at least no significant difference in enjoyment, whether or not you knew the uh, twist and actually a slight bump in enjoyment for some of the books. Mm. That being said, people are very fragile about it. So I, I wouldn't go around trying to, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> days. could you imagine going and spoiling something for somebody and then trying to cite that study? What an ass you would be. 
<laughs> oh my god, yeah. According to uh, professors at the University of Berkeley. I don't have a big opinion about it. Um, also, I don't know if... Um, there's not a whole lot you can spoil. Like, the last thing that I had spoiled for me was... Um, I saw that uh, a chef from Sacramento was on Cutthroat Kitchen, so I looked him up and I saw that he... The first article was like, Chef from Sacramento wins Cutthroat Kitchen. And I was like, fuck, I'm not done with the episode yet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a pretty low, low risk... <laughs> Uh, low stakes spoiler <laughs> were you were you like what when he was like doing his bets and stuff were you like nah bet less save that money you're you end up winning <laughs> yeah you're gonna be fine yeah <laughs> screaming at the tv no he was one of those people that won because he aggressively used his money so he played the game well dude cutthroat kitchen's a pretty cool idea like it's legitimately like i don't think i would have ever thought of that and it works <laughs> it, it works well i'm in a i'm currently watching uh, an end of the season tournament arc so uh it's getting pretty heated yeah, like any good anime, Cutthroat Kitchen has uh, some end-of-the-season ones where they, like, bring back former competitors, or, like, this one is, like, it's a tournament where they're, like, outside using camping gear, and that's the whole theme of it. How do you feel about, and I, I will connect this back to our theme, because Alton Brown's a daddy as far as I'm concerned. How do you feel about his late career? Oh, he's a zaddy, baby. Dude, Alton Brown's zaddy for sure. How do you feel about his late career transition to not being adorable, but being, like, a little bit snarky and dismissive whereas like his early stuff he was like you know like i'm a, I love science and cooking and i'm gonna teach you about the best ways to do science cooking i actually think he was always had like a bit of a wry personality even in like the early days of good eats i think if anything he came off as like a little like schlubby Ooh, but you, so certainly you think not I was like missing the like the sarcasm and the tinge because i was younger when i was watching good eats and now i can tell he's i think sarcastic. so yeah he, he, he didn't have like big bill nye energy like he very much had like um like these little, I think there's an interview where he described Good Eats as wanting to be a cross between Monty Python and Julia Child and like uh, one other like thing. And so I think it's always been this very like wry, sardonic. Uh, Interesting, because uh, young me entity. really did perceive him as like the Bill Nye of cooking. So I guess I was just like innocent or not catching his like more sarcastic humor when I was watching it. Oh. Yeah, no, I think uh, he just kind of leaned into a part of his personality that was always there, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, he I'm definitely totally, plays totally it up more it. now on, on Cutthroat Kitchen. Like, nowadays, he does, like, evil laughs half the time in half the episodes. I mean, he's he's been doing live streams uh, during the quarantine, and I, I kind of stopped watching them because they're long, and I I don't think he actually comes off very well during them. <laughs> he kind of comes off as a jackass during some of the episodes. But uh, he does a lot of, like, making fun of his wife in a way that's kind of funny, so... Uh, I don't know. He's just pretty irreverent all the time. Like, it's really interesting, too, because, like, being, like, a food personality and, like, type person, uh, it's his third wife, so I guess maybe it's been different dynamics in other marriages uh, of his, but um, she's, like, a very Gwyneth Paltrow-y type, like, uh, she tries to put kale in everything that they cook, and she he always makes fun of, like, the seeds that she has in the cupboard for her, like, smoothies and, like, her superfoods, and it's just, like, a weird dynamic for someone whose, like, whole personality is food to, like, have a partner who's like that. Paul, have you ever had a thing where you, um... <laughs> This might just be me, and I don't know if this is borderline weird or not, but I've looked up Alton Brown's daughter to be like, I wonder if she's if I find her attractive to where I could like seek her out as a partner so that I could integrate myself into Alton Brown's family when I marry her. <laughs> I, I definitely think that about a lot of people I'm a big fan of. I, I haven't done it specifically with Alton Brown, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now. I didn't know if that was just a thing that I had done before. <laughs> but unlike you, I'm not gonna judge her on how she looks. I'm gonna find a social media profile and look at her posts to know if we would uh, actually be compatible. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not much of a misogynist as you are adrian that's true she only has an instagram not a twitter so i don't get to see her jokes oh. 
You think she's a, you think she'd be out there riffing? I, w- I want to see her riffs. <laughs> oh, oh shit! Um, Instagram makes it so hard to like if you don't have a just profile, actually browse through if you don't have one. Yeah, like yeah. it just constantly asks you to log in. Uh, she posted soaking up my last bit of Italian sun while uh while hanging out in front of uh on i guess somewhere in italy that's cool i like italy maybe we'll get along let me see what else she's she's already proving her worth and that she's gonna help me write the tamara marinara uh series help me write the tamara marinara series god damn it adrian Ooh, this one's from kyoto japan she says duck river duck river is a new river cn um yeah i like ducks ducks are cool dude me and zoe uh me and zoe brown I think we have a lot in common. Oh boy, she does have a bulldog as a pet. Do you have something? Oh, you're just gonna wait it out for that bulldog to die. <laughs> um, I don't have anything against against the bulldog. I find them pretty. Okay, ugly. I get her. You don't you I, you you don't wait, like are you calling dibs right now? I get her. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling dibs. <laughs> I get that we brown. <laughs> well, maybe uh maybe I'm just a little bit more of a feminist, but I wouldn't put it in those terms, Paul. But uh, you know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and now that you've signaled your virtues she's gonna like you more than me oh no <laughs> what if it turns out that she's actually a big alt writer <laughs> uh, i'm kind of shocked Ooh, she wrote something in italian i also know a foreign language so we have that in common though we hit me up <laughs> i'm surprised being alton brown's daughter only gets you eight thousand followers i don't know i think there's it's um it's like that snl skit from pete davidson about the tucci gang like it's just made for nobody <laughs> like it's a young woman who you'd have to be a fan of out in brown to like find interesting <laughs> like i don't think there's a big part of that venn diagram that's in the middle so Alan brown is a dad and i'm sure he's a great dad <laughs> i don't know usually we start by talking about our own experiences but have, i feel like we've talked about our parents before i don't feel like either of us a lot of people have chips on their shoulder about their parents i feel like me and you are more chip on our shoulder about where we grew up we're we're pretty chill with about everything else yeah (laughs) me and you both very much like our parents and think they did a good job raising us and we're like fair people and i think a big part of why i like my parents goes back to the fact that i did grow up in lexington and i saw how unreasonable and downright weird a lot of parents are uh a lot of them are incredibly uh... authoritarian with their kids do you still have your bit in your pocket of uh, the uh, uh, anthropologist um, parent uh, watcher thing? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the bit was just about uh, being being a foreign kid growing up in the South. You just felt like an anthropologist every time you were at a white person's house uh, with a little notepad in the corner, and their parents would be like, "Oh, you have to go take out the trash before you can eat dinner." And I'll just be like. They won't let him eat unless he does menial labor? <laughs> what sort of society and culture is this? But yes, my parents were very much... I don't know. Southern parents seemed so authoritarian to me. Like, they did stuff like that. Like, you had to finish your chores before you would get dinner. Or when you were eating dinner, you had to explicitly, like, eat your vegetables first. Where my parents never put any sort of, like... And not in, like, a hippie way, but they just never controlled me to that degree where I had to eat things in a certain order like i had free reign to go pick what i wanted to eat make it and eat it like there wasn't like some sort of draconian like i have to manage this aspect of your life like and another thing with southern parents that always got me was the uh yes ma'am no sir thing which oh yeah i I was yelled at about that a few times not calling my friend's parents by the uh yes ma'am no sir 
and it just like it weirded me out to such a weird de- degree because that's why like they're your child why do they have to speak to you formally and then yeah i've always got this feeling like my neighbors and a lot of southern kids they like respect your parents was so uh was so important that they weren't allowed to disagree with their parents and i really appreciated the fact that my parents like they were still the bosses and they still always got their way but i was allowed to disagree with them i was allowed to be like no i like i was allowed to have an issue with what they wanted me to do and voice my opinion and yes like if it was something they cared about they would always win but if it was something they didn't care about they'd be like ah, okay yeah you don't have to go with us to this wedding you can you can like just hang out at home with your like older brother or if they couldn't manage to like my brother was at home and i was too young like okay no you you said your say but you do have to go with us to this event or whatever i was arguing for it's just like I was allowed to argue. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and I never realized. I didn't. I never thought of that as a dichotomy of like white parents versus uh, foreign parents. But my parents were the same way, very much so. That um, I could voice an opinion, and we could actually talk it out. And like, yeah, I'd still get a sandal to the face, but <laughs> we could talk it out. No, exactly. Uh, there's definitely white parents. There's some white parents where they. My friends were absolutely terrified. Like the idea that like their mom would say like you have to come in at di- to dinner at this time. I'd be like, go ask her if you can come in another time. They'd be like, what? Like. I'm just going to go ask her for a different time <laughs> to come in for dinner. I'll be like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And, and definitely noticed that a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Cause it's not like we're coming from very similar cultures, but there is like some connection there where, uh, yeah, my parents are just very reasonable people. I was never afraid of my parents. I was mm-hmm. only ever afraid of my friend's parents. Yeah. That's also uh, true. I was never afraid of my yeah. parents, but I was afraid of my friend's parents. <laughs> very true. So I guess maybe one productive question we can go from to specifically kind of reel us in a little bit paul do you think you're more like your mom or your dad oh more like my mom for sure Mm, i have my dad's anxiety but my mom's uh (laughs) my mom's sense of fun and sense of casualness towards the world where she's very like ditzy and i think i got that from her that's actually super interesting because i have the exact opposite so i'm like my mom as well and my brother is as well my sister is more like my dad there's just kind of like a weird like vice versa there um, but yeah, so it's the same thing where all three Perez children have crippling anxiety because of my mom, but we have all like learned a general, like carefree attitude from my dad who has like a very much like I've lived through a very hard life, but like at the end of the day, I'm still happy. And I still like think optimistically about everything. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is definitely flipped for me. My dad's very, he's an over planner. He's very anxious about everything. He always voices a thousand different opinions and always tells you. A He's th- always shouting at news reporters. <laughs> <laughs> he always tells you a thousand different ways anything could go wrong. Um, and my mom generally views the world almost like through a child's eyes where my mom, like when quarantine started, she was like, oh, just ask your uh, just ask your landlord if you can not pay. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she was like, oh, just ask them. Was like, what do you mean just ask them? <laughs> She was like, maybe, maybe they'll like just be reasonable about it. It's quarantine. Like, maybe we can move your stuff out, and they'll just like. I was like, no. The lease says that to break it. Like, these are the rules. This is what you have to do. She's like, yeah, maybe they'll just not care about it. I was like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think this massive corporation that is my landlord. It wasn't even like a single person landlord. It was one of those big corporations. Um, That's hilarious. And yeah, I guess I, I didn't know. I don't guess I, I didn't spend enough time with your parents for me to really get these uh, differences in attitude. Um, 
the only thing I think of when I think of your parents is uh, your mom being sad that I didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> My mom really likes the idea of people being uh, successful in like very stereotypical ways which is why me and my siblings are engineers and doctors <laughs> that was instilled in us at a very young age and that's why me and my siblings are all unemployed um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what and my mom really liked adrian and when she heard he was going to do biology in college and she knew adrian was really smart she just immediately assumed he was going to be a doctor and when i told her no, I think he just wants to go into biology. She was like, oh, what type of work can you get with that? It's like, I think you can become like a professor or maybe you can do research for a company or something. And she was so sad that somebody, that it was, I don't think she knew you could get a PhD and not be a medical doctor. <laughs> she was like, but he could be, like, he, is he not smart enough to be med-? And I was like, no, no, he's definitely smart enough. He could be a medical doctor if he wanted. And she was just like, why doesn't he do that? I couldn't be a surgeon. I don't have steady enough hands. <laughs> <laughs> we we lost another one but doctor all you were doing was a circumcision <laughs> oh god um one, one thing that i thought was really funny about my parents is that they were very vocal about which of me and dorley's friends that they liked and didn't like interesting so i mean what what's the uh what's the grade where was i um i think you were i think you were pretty inoffensive to both of them <laughs> like i think uh, the big thing was um uh, they did not like one of our mutual friends who you were closer to. Yeah, I remember um, this because he wouldn't eat red meat. That was this issue, right? I think it was a general because we took him to an amusement park. We had like a we had um, what do you call them? Season passes to an amusement park. So I think it was a general timidity in in his demeanor. Uh, that my dad in his very Latino machismo did not enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that 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 kid I loved to death, but he yes, he was very timid. And very like scared of the world and how he interacted with it. So I can understand why your dad did not like that. Uh, yeah, it's why my dad didn't like Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> <laughs> what type of lessons is this show teaching our children? <laughs> Courage? He should be called scared. This makes no sense. <laughs> That's actually something my dad would say. Like just sitting on the couch. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we get into articles? I think that's a uh, that's enough. Yeah. Oh wait, uh, real quick. Uh, again, we almost forgot everyone's favorite segment, the ABC. Uh, okay, so today I am sipping on a wonderful Imperial Coffee Stout from Jack Rabbit. It is their Black is Beautiful um, Stout. So I don't know, Paul, if you've heard about this collaboration between many, many, many uh, craft breweries across the nation. Have you heard about this? This Black is Beautiful. <laughs> is this a little bees beer no unfortunately not uh this was uh so in response to george floyd uh there was uh a single brewery in san antonio texas i think weathered souls um was the one that put out uh the call for breweries to uh use this label and this name uh to essentially as like a call to donate profits made from this beer for um you know i was about to say anti-police but i think that's not the language they want us to use for uh you know police reform measures and uh and then to also like it comes with like three parts it's like one use the profits for uh police reform measures Two, pick another charity that's like in your local community that helps with uh people of color and then three like make a longer commitment to uh trying to help combat these issues so I'm la- I'm happy that Jackrabbit joined in, um, and they're being good allies. I actually clicked on the Black is Beautiful website to see which breweries in South Carolina joined, and I was a little 
sad to not see some of my favorite ones on there, but I get that like not being a part of this project doesn't necessarily mean they're against it, but it seems like an easy thing to get on board on. So like Westbrook, get your ass in gear. I was going to say, so is it, are most of them going for like the obvious choice and it's dark stouts or is it like a lot of people are doing a lot of different things? So that's what's really cool is um basically what the original brewery did is they sent out their original baseline recipe and then said like, go crazy with like trying to mix it up. Um, so Jackrabbit went for a, a little bit of a slightly lower alcohol, mm. um, and then went for a coffee, uh, flavor, which I think always goes well with a stout. I mean, it's not necessarily good hot summer weather beer, but it's, uh, really complex, very tasty, very drinkable. As always, Jackrabbit knocked it out of the park. I'm, I'm looking through the Charlotte breweries that have, uh, that have joined. Divine is one of the best Charlotte breweries, Divine Barrel Brewing. They have joined in on this, so I would highly recommend them. Okay, but now that we've done the longest ABC yet, uh, slowly it's taking over this show until this is just a beer review podcast. <laughs> um, They're asking for the spinoff. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take the uh, initiative of demanding my article go first. Alrighty, and I'm pulling up my article from the Nation, which is a left leaning, uh, a left leaning Democratic Socialist publication. I'm doing the uh, their, their advice column, which is by uh, Liza Featherstone. And I don't think it has a name like Ask Liza or Dear Liza, but she answers questions for, for the readers of the nation. And one thing I will say about a lot of her questions is she's she has good answers and she generally, like, it seems pretty smart. But I will say, like, if you wanted to mock leftists or you wanted to mock socialists this advice column wouldn't be a horrible place to start um (laughs) why are you giving them ammo even yeah even though a lot of these people do share my ideology about like you know healthcare for everybody and uh generally are progressive people who want to make the world a better place like uh, a lot of these people are real like (laughs) their worries in life are so first world and so bougie that you just get this sense of like is this what we're worrying about now? Is this what we're talking about now? But Liza does a good job always like being compassionate and taking the questions as is and delivering a reasonable answer. And it's it's all it's all good and the people all seem good hearted, even if they're a little bit maybe like wine mom who's trying to be progressive in their affect. And in fact the question we have kind of uh kind of illustrates, I think, the point quite a bit which is my 11-year-old daughter is obsessed with makeup. Should I object on feminist grounds? All right, I like the title from the get-go. That's going to be this is going to be an interesting one that Paul and I are uniquely capable to address. <laughs> Quick, Adrian, call in a woman. <laughs> can can we do can we phone a friend so that we can Wait, hold on. Hillary? <laughs> yeah, Hillary Clinton? <laughs> is this you? <laughs> it's Adrian. I got a, I got a question for you. You know that new sound you've been looking for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One second, Adrian. Actually, on the other line, Michelle? <laughs> Michelle and Sasha and Malia all on a group call with me? Oh, my God. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So this article is Dear Liza. My 11-year-old daughter is obsessed with makeup. She spends all her free time watching how-to videos on YouTube and all her money buying eyeshadow and highlighter. Her idea of a fun Sunday outing is going to Sephora and swatching. She also has her own Instagram account, 
where she has started posting pictures of herself wearing 10 pounds of makeup and looking a tiny bit like John Bonet Ramsey. Her friends write Oof. things like, you look so gorgeous. She insists that it's just a hobby and makeup application is an art form, but it's starting to freak me out. Should I shrug my shoulders and assume it's just a passing phase? Or should I object on feminist grounds and begin restricting her activities? I'm worried that if I protest too vehemently, I'll only make the whole business more exciting. I like and wear makeup too, but it's never been all that much interest to me. I now feel, in my middle age, that I spent too much of my young life stressing about my appearance, and it was both corrosive and, in the end, a waste of time. Signed, Muddled Mom. Ooh boy. All right, Paul. I'll go sincere on this one because... I, I don't know. I don't want to start one off where we're talking about women's issues by just uh, a Riffin. joke. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, uh, we'll, we'll riff it a second. But my sincere take is it's it's good that she's thinking about these things and is worried because it's like, you're a parent. You should use your life experiences to inform your child. Um, so if you thought it was corrosive to you at a young age, you should think about it and, you know, use your life experiences to help your daughter. But I think... I think just generally people our age view makeup in a different way than older feminists did, which is mm -hmm. we do like we I think sometimes the older generation thinks that it's bad to care about makeup because of a certain amount of like internalized issues with caring about how you look being like a silly, frilly or feminine thing. And I think now if anything, we're realizing that even guys care about how they look and maybe everybody cares about how they look and it's that's part of society and okay to a certain degree. Either way, I don't know if I have the answer, but I, I think it's good that she cares and it's good that she has this dialogue with her daughter and I hope her I hope she's open to her daughter's arguments and doesn't just force her to be one way or another, but rather maybe even take the time to buy a book on this issue because I think feminists themselves aren't agreed 100% on something like this. I'm sure some yeah. think it's empowering and some think it's not. So maybe read up on different, like different ways people feel about it and maybe share those thoughts and ideas with your daughter. And maybe even she can read up on it with you. And then not only can she enjoy makeup, but she can maybe enrich herself by understanding why she enjoys it. What about it? She enjoys I think coming to a deeper understanding is a good way to make sure you're not just forcing your daughter to do what you want or to behave a certain way, which could be controlling or leave her with, you know, maybe some sort of resentment or issues. But you also don't, yeah, just want her to be super obsessed with how she looks and only gain her self-worth from other people leaving comments on her Instagram. So you do want to push back and challenge her to be critical in her thinking about why and how she enjoys her hobby. That's my very sincere, non-funny answer. God, I have so much to say on this one. Um, I think a lot of it's colored by the fact that I just rewatched ContraPoints' video about beauty last night. Mm. So I, I think there's a lot to it. Okay, so let me try and break it down. One is that I do think 11 years old is a little early to have an Instagram. But here's where I agree with her. I do agree with the child that like makeup can be an art form, and it is kind of because it's this loaded thing it's hard to treat it like it's anything else like i think if an 11 year old wants to have an instagram where they post their paintings like probably no one would have an issue with that it's the fact that it is something that's very much focused on the child and like their look which is like a weird area to play with and like um bringing in john benet ramsey is like a very 
like that's a very telling way for the mom to bring up how she feels about this so i mean we'll skip over that for a second but like the idea that makeup can be a hobby and that it can be an art form and that it's something that she can even like commodify if she wanted to do that and that's like an actual skill to develop I, i think is perfectly fine it's just this extra subtext of like being really into makeup and how you look doesn't happen in a vacuum so even though my initial idea is to like very sincerely take this child at her word that this is something she does for herself and that uh she is interested in because she just likes it and that's a creative outlet for her but there's this whole like sphere around it that makes it just kind of weird and i kind of get where the mom's coming from for this one yeah yeah i mean i think this is hard we're not gonna come to the conclusion just me and you we're not gonna come to the right answer you know what i mean but once again i think this is like almost cliche but if you're thinking about it and you're you're coming at it from an empathetic point of view you're probably not gonna go wrong as long as you're open to hearing your daughter out and open to having a dialogue with her about it you're whether or not it's healthy for her daughter to care or not care about makeup the fact that she cares that her daughter goes about it in a healthy way probably means that she's raising her daughter well whichever way this conversation goes yeah and i can tell the mom is pretty she's generally clever like she gets the whole point that a lot of parents miss of like if you try and restrict it then it's gonna become something that she seeks out even harder which is like parenting 101 uh and so it's a very bizarre thing for me for someone that's young to be so into it but i mean you know i I think there are merits to it i think it's kind of cool i think it's interesting i see why like makeup tutorials are one of the most uh like sought after videos and like video types on youtube also i mean there is the extra dimension of like if this is your daughter's hobby she is necessarily like it's an expensive hobby and it's a very consumerist hobby and maybe just from that angle like you might want to tamp down on her being super obsessed with it because maybe you don't want to be buying six hundred dollars worth of makeup for every birthday and christmas exactly you tell her put down the makeup brush uh pick up the didgeridoo on the funnier end of advice uh is there mime summer camp is that a thing could she is, is, could she send her to clown school could she uh oh that's a um, that's a good piece of advice i don't know if there's a lot of variation in how the mimes are doing maybe i think like uh isn't that a nut like speaking of i don't know if it's gonna get cut but netflix shows of random stuff that people do like the makeup artist and kind of like um prosthetics uh netflix show like maybe get her into like doing little monster faces that way even if she is putting like little pictures out it's not there's nothing weird about it it's her uh as the monster from alien <laughs> so that's what i was gonna say like if you're on the west coast there might actually be like a vfx summer camp that would be fucking fire yeah that would be super cool i think the even simpler one is that if if part of the issue in this feminist sense is um a, an obscene interest in your own aesthetic in your own presentation to the world it's very easy to just flip this into what i said earlier about like it's a it's a skill that you can commodify so like switch it so that she is giving you makeup like makeovers like switch it so that she is using her skills to make other people and bring out other people's best presentation of themselves that they're after and that might be a more like kind of generous kind of um kind way to apply this skill that you see is so vain um how how would you adrian so I'm, i'm kind of answering this in like good faith for the uh for the writer of the article but in all honesty and this is kind of what i meant when i said this this is geared towards people with like bourgeois affectations i because i honestly can't wait 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 paul how did, how did you know about my favorite russian math rock band bourgeois affectations <laughs> um but i can't see myself as a father to an 11 year old daughter or an 11 year old boy 
if either of my 11 year old kids were interested in makeup i can't see myself doing anything other than going cool go ahead <laughs> like i don't know if i would ever personally feel so taken by an issue of like somebody saw makeup as a hobby as to like i don't know I, do you have like can you put yourself in the shoe of a parent how would you feel yeah so for me i think the only issue would be the instagram at like 11 years old mm -hmm. But I think also on a flip side, if you see your child doing that and it's one of those things where you invest your money in your child, you get them that YouTube channel, you got the next like Jeffree Star on your hands, like, ooh, ooh boy, <laughs> you're making that money. <laughs> you're making that money, my dude. <laughs> and then it's easy street from then on out. I get to quit my job. Uh, just let my child make little uh, YouTube uh, tutorials, little TikToks. Um, yeah, just uh, monopolize on my child's abilities instead of my own that are severely lacking, I think that's exactly the way to go. So I think as a parent, that would be what I would do. Okay, Liza. Dear Mud Lead. We shouldn't fall into this- Do you mean muddled? Dear muddled. <laughs> We're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. I don't know how I- I think I said it right when I signed off. <laughs> you absolutely did. <laughs> that's awesome. No, dear mud lad. Dear muddled. We shouldn't fall into the sexist trap of dismissing girlish- preoccupations as inherently silly makeup artistry is probably more creative than minecraft for example which obsesses it shots fired i know at least i know at least one audience member who's not gonna like that <laughs> who I, pol I apologize to my little undergrad <laughs> makeup artistry is probably more creative than minecraft for example which obsesses many boys her age one of my former students is now applying to law school inspired by part by the intellectual property problems she encountered as a youtube makeup artist and what a pleasure to acquire skill be publicly admired for it and get praised for your beauty all at the same time still you're right to worry muddled it's not the makeup that's troubling here it's your daughter's relationship to media and her own appearance that should concern us ah oh, your take adrian Enjoying one's beauty and its social power is fun, but in the image-drenched and still male-dominated world we live in, girls' value is too often reduced to their looks. Your daughter needs to understand that she is much more than her pretty insta-pics, and the medium makes this hard to keep in perspective. Like you, I worry that if she's getting too much praise for her good looks at such a crucial time in her development, beauty will become too central to her identity. And on social media, notes Chris Harrison, a professor of communication studies at the University of Michigan, who has extensively researched girls in media, they quantify the heck out of it. How many likes did you get? Additionally, the time your daughter spends on Instagram and YouTube may be taking her away from spending time with friends face-to-face, -face, says Harrison. Brain research shows that these likes from total strangers give us the same dopamine rush as real-life social approval. A huge problem because the more time girls spend communicating electronically, the lower they score on critical measures of well-being. What boosts real happiness and sanity, especially for early adolescents who are newly developed as social animals, is hanging out with friends in person. Your daughter's brain, then, is giving her the wrong incentives, rewarding her for activities that aren't good for mental health. Speaking of incentives, the social media industry, like Big Pharma, is set up to profit from more use, not to help us figure out how to use sensibly. Harrison adds, it sounds like that horse has left the barn, but Eleven is too young for Instagram. While you're right not to forbid the makeup, you should limit your daughter's Instagram use. Research shows that a purely authoritarian approach backfires. It's forbidden fruit and they just use it all the more at their friends' houses, says Harrison. But if parents and kids discuss the restrictions and parents explain the reasons for them, setting rules can work. One strategy is to sign your daughter up for makeup artistry classes or summer programs. 
where she can move her focus away from the internet and her own body and meet in person people who share her passion. Better yet, encourage an interest... Oh, your point, Paul. Yeah. Better yet, encourage an interest in theatrical makeup, which would allow her to get involved in school or community theater, meeting other artistic kids, and the theater would give her skills a healthier and an equally public platform. Yeah, great answer. That, that, this is what I meant. Like, it is surprisingly parallel. Like, yeah. I think we hit almost everything she hit. That was, yeah. It is like almost a fundamentally silly question, that it, and it would be kind of easy to be like, oh, who cares? But if you are going to ask the question and a little bit of an overthinking, anxious parent, that was a good response that hit a lot of key points and was really responsible yeah. and mature. I'm into that. I am too. Have we turned from a comedy podcast into, um, I don't even know, just a general advice podcast? Quick, say something silly, Adrian. What If you were going to invent an alien in Rick and Morty, what would it's, the name of the species be? The goober manches. <laughs> They're uh, German peanut sentient beings. <laughs> the goober mensch. That's what they'd be called. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I think it paralleled a lot of what we said. Not like tuning our own horn, but I don't think there, we have much to add. Yeah. She either said it better than we did or brought it up in the same way we did. <laughs> We've never experienced any of the perspectives in this question. We've never been an 11-year-old girl. We've never been a parent. <laughs> We've never had to. And yet we're still hitting the same points as an advice columnist. So I think this just goes to show. Oh, I was going to say it just goes to show how how universal the experiences no how obsessive we've all become like it's probably because we've intaken so much media of like what you're supposed to do mm. about your kids even though we don't have kids but it's like we probably watch tv shows and we watch videos where people critique makeup and they critique society and we've probably heard arguments from both sides about it like you mentioned the contrapoints thing and it's like yeah sometimes it's exhausting to be a modern human where you have to have an opinion on everything and you have to be educated on everything. <laughs> and it's just like, Jesus. All right, are we done with uh, Liza Featherstone? <laughs> Liza Featherstone? I feel like Liza Featherstone. Liza Featherstone. Could Liza Featherstone be... To be the best friend of Tamara Marinara? <laughs> you knew exactly or her where rival? I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> She's the British antagonist. Oh my God, Tamara Marinara. They're both in the same ninth grade class. Tamara's a very like easygoing kind of tomboyish one of the boy types um whereas uh Liza Featherstone uh, she comes from a little bit of money and she uh doesn't really like uh dealing with the riffraff of ninth grade but she also um, uses her money and wants to solve all the same crimes Tamara solves so she uses her money and her butler to help her solve the crimes too but she's always a step behind Tamara but she's always trying to steal her leads and get in the way of her investigations. At this point, it's a Saturday morning cartoon. I don't even know why I'm trying to fuck with the the, the written word, <laughs> which we know is dead. Paul, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Do we know anybody at uh? Do we know anybody at Cartoon Cartoon Network? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can find somebody. <laughs> All right, Adrian. Okay, cool. So today, after um our conversation last week, uh, or two weeks ago at this point about the misrepresentation or the lack of representation of strong male leaders in the advice column game i am bringing in ask mr dad so ask mr dad is armin brot uh i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right i don't know what kind of last name that is but it's a very cool sounding name armin brot uh, so i'm gonna read his quick bio from his page hailed by time magazine as the super dad super dad 
Armin Brott is a pioneer in the field of fatherhood and has been building better fathers for more than a decade. As an author of eight best-selling books on fatherhood, he's helped millions of men around the world become the fathers they want to be and that their children need them to be. Uh, and so he's been in, on a lot of different TV shows, including Today, CBS Overnight, Fox News, and Politically Incorrect. Uh, and his work on fatherhood has been featured in many places, such as Glamour, Time, the New York Times, Chicago Tribune. Um, he also does a lot of speaking and teaching classes across the country. Uh, and he's a father of three that lives in Oakland, California, so not too far from where I'm at. Wait, can I just cut in and say he's only a father of three? That's such a bullshit. I I want. I think the best dad's got to be like a father of like twenty kids. Like that's a real challenge. This guy's this guy's good at being a dad, but he's only raising three kids. Bullshit. I want my. Best I agree, dad. Paul. If you're a good dad. I think you need to be a Genghis Khan type figure. I th- <laughs> you need to like son half of the continent of Asia <laughs> and beyond. Yeah, and you need to be on that's top a good of dad. all their lives. Um. What is this? Oh, anybody can be a good dad to three kids. What What do you do? Play catch with one of them? Uh, okay. So, uh, this is his advice column, Ask Mr. Dad. And uh, just in case, I've had people request in the past to um, give the uh, kind of metadata on it. So, this is from June 9th, 2016. Uh, and if you really want to get specific, it was posted at 6.37 a.m. So, apparently Armin's a real early riser. <laughs> Uh, okay. Ask Mr. Dad, meet my imaginary friend. Paul, anything about imaginary friends on top? I never had one. Oh. I didn't either. And it was one of those things where it really felt like an insult to my creativity that I couldn't have an imaginary friend. I, I, I had like a lot of imaginary adventures, but if I ever had an imaginary friend, I guess they were only around, like they weren't an imaginary friend in the traditional sense because they were only around for that one adventure I was having like with my action figures or mind i had a pretty active imagination but i didn't have a permanent friend if that makes sense yeah like someone who like sticks with you i think what's interesting to me is that um given my anxiety i only had imaginary enemies and to this day that persists (laughs) do my inner demons count as my modern imaginary friend (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, I think the the thing that really exacerbated that, like, feeling of, um, uh, being, like, less than, because I didn't have the imagination to continue the lore of a imaginary friend in my head, uh, was that I absolutely adored the show Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I did, and too. Still, too. still do as an oh, adult. Oh, what a good show. Yeah. Totally holds up. I watched it my freshman year of college, um, and it holds up so well. But, yeah, that was another one where, like, I was like, god damn, dude, I, I don't have the, I don't have the brain power for this <laughs> to keep up this whole imaginary world in my head. It does make that whole dying, decrepit mansion way sadder when you realize it's just the boy with his <laughs> grandma in there. Well, and Frankie. Frankie's... Or I guess there's probably like some weird conspiracy theory that Frankie is also an imaginary friend or something, but... Oh, yeah, I, there is actually. You basically hit it on the head because she wears the same color scheme as a grandma. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things. Um, A, a more... Well, I don't know. Maybe not as interesting, but... um voiced by the same person who does azula in avatar the last airbender Ooh. no that's a very interesting yeah. fact let's leave that one in big azula fan that woman's got big, range big frankie fan big fans of both yeah basically that woman can play like any kind of dream woman that uh i had as a child <laughs> you ran to azula she scared me oh that's what i liked about it what are you talking about <laughs> i didn't like her because i felt safe <laughs> nope i call her too god damn it <laughs> her and zoe brown i call both of them damn it no <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, go ahead, buddy. All right. Um, question. 
My four-year-old son has an imaginary friend named Bartholomew. He's always talking to him, includes him in his drawings of our family, reads him bedtime stories, and sometimes even pushes him on the swing when we're at the park. Dear God, that is like some horror <laughs> movie imagery right fun. there. <laughs> That's such a funny dish, and he's just pushing an empty Oh, no. So I, I, I think I haven't so let you dumb. in before on, like... For me, it's one of those things where, having watched as many horror movies as I have, like, kids drawing uh with like only black and white and like kids doing shit where they're just pushing an empty swing like that's a no-go for me like whenever that happens to my child i'm sending them back to wherever they came from yeah, also like, Barcelona, i'm not about to Barcelona let that into my life such an old school name you kind of worry that it's a ghost not an imaginary friend like that's up there with if your kid's imaginary friends named beelzebub like it's a hint to that <laughs> yeah if uh if your kid's imaginary friend's name is just an anagram for the devil <laughs> Yeah, my, my daddy, my imaginary friend Valdizi. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> you rearrange it and it's the devil. Dear God. Okay, uh, I love how it's the devil. <laughs> that like the big reveal in the movie is that it spells not devil, and you have the leftover like T H E. Like that's what, the it, devil. Okay, can we complain about Voldemort for a second? It spells I am Tom Nook. Or, wait, what is it? It's a uh, <laughs> I am Tom Riddle. I am Tom Riddle. I am Tom Riddle. In the anagram, he included the I am. <laughs> <laughs> he was like what's the anagram for tom riddle and then he was like nothing works okay what if yeah. i add in i am okay i can make that work like it's such a silly idea another kind of like um meta thing about that have you heard about like all the effort that's gone into like translating harry potter into different languages and still trying to make that anagram work yeah yeah i've heard that they do make it work in a lot of languages but yeah i think they have to use various things like not just i am but like make it a whole sentence or make it yeah Je suis Tom Riddell. <laughs> Je suis Walmart. They have to change his name to Je suis Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, so... Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even sometimes he uh, pushes them on the swing when we're at the park. Um, in the car, we have a second seat for Bartholomew. And if we don't set a place at the table for Bart, my son refuses to eat. At first, this was all pretty cute. But when my son started to complain that his friend is bossy, won't put his toys away, and sometimes won't play fair, I started to get worried. Is there something wrong with my son? Yeah, so anyways, thoughts about the question, Paul? Or... No, like I said, uh, <laughs> there is funnier directions to take it, which is hopefully the son is neurotypical. And this is just like, him having a hilarious like sense of humor about <laughs> making his imaginary friend bossy and the fact that clearly he's potentially haunted if it's a bit he's got real good commitment to the bit yeah yeah like, like he's just can't... fucking with yeah. his mom like he saw a horror movie and was like i could do that <laughs> like he has to have his own they made him buy wait i guess he doesn't have a car seat he just has a oh wait no he has his own car seat <laughs> they made him spend money <laughs> on a second car seat for him uh and the whole point about setting the table is really funny too i don't know it's just um like this is one of those things where i i know we say this a lot and like i understand that everyone who's white might not agree with this dichotomy but the idea that if i told my mom i'm not gonna eat unless you set another place for my imaginary friend bart she'd be like bitch fuck you <laughs> eat what i give you right now <laughs> or, <Yeah>. or, <laughs> or don't eat but i'm not about to do this shit what are you talking You're right. about only white parents really acknowledge <laughs> um well like play along to this extent <laughs> that is true that's very true oh. my mom would be like 
wait, what? You want Bart to have his own car seat? You got second car seat money, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> He's four. The fact that you are letting a four-year-old <laughs> control your life is so funny to me. This, we've read two articles this week of people with just, like, very first-class affectations. Just very, like, not first-class, but very, like, bougie, uh, upper-class affectations. Oh, no, I think first-class that... is entirely correct. Like, every time we go... <laughs> Every time we go on a play ride, uh, Bartholomew has to have his own first class seat. Otherwise, he won't fly with us. <laughs> his parents pay for it. Um, I did. This was actually a good idea. One time I was taking a plane ride and the mom that got, which is when she got onto the plane with her, like, I, I, her daughter. Yeah, with a daughter. And at first, her daughter was like acting up a little bit. But then she had the concept of, like, she got pl- two plane presents uh, while she was on the plane. And they were wrapped <laughs> up like Christmas presents. And so it does seem like a lot of effort, and it's nothing my parents would have ever done to me. It's like a very white parent thing to do. But I will admit, yeah. sometimes it is effective, because as the person sitting next to that mom and her child, it was, like, very exciting that she got the kid to, like, calm down and behave herself to get to open her plane presence. She got one at takeoff and she got one halfway through the plane. I think this is exactly like um, that Donald Glover bit about uh, the child who's um, acting too rambunctious in a store and the mom's just like, uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, dolphin, I said the word, dolphin. When I say dolphin, you have to calm down. Uh, Jonathan, dolphin. <laughs> like, like, it's just those strategies that like are so foreign to me that are so... Like, cause on it, like, I mean, we're talking about shit right now. Like all the excess stuff, like is a, like a, a, a part of the, the classism that comes with being white, but like even simple stuff for like the psychology of like, I said, dolphin, <laughs> that means you stop. Is, it's uh... so, yeah, that's so alien. <laughs> that would have never happened. Yeah. It's, uh... But hey, the, <laughs> unlike the dolphin thing, the plane present thing, very effective. Uh, I talked to the mom. She was a nice person. Um, I was happy that she did that. So maybe sometimes that sort of... Uh... Wait, did she give you a plane present? <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God, Adrian. I actually remember this lady as being very nice and she did give me a piece of her lunch. She was like, do you like these crackers? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> she gave them to me. Oh my God. Um, Notoriously, Paul, don't you really like the cookies that they I give do. you? I really like, like the, I like the I love the ginger biscoffs. Yeah. I love them a lot. That was my praying. Pl- I didn't even realize till now she was playing me too. She was like this. This twenty-three-year-old might need to. I might need to have him settle down. I'll give him a plain present. Dude, oh my god! All right. Well, you, do you want to get into the answer? Or you got more to say? Uh, oh wait, we didn't actually give any advice about how to handle this, did we? Um, yeah, well, I think you were going uh, the direction I of horror movie. So do you want to do you want to describe how freaky this would be to you? I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, man. Like, of I don't get afraid at horror movies. Like, people find it really weird that one of my favorite activities in the world is like eat a really strong edible and watch horror movies at night by myself. <laughs> um, because like I don't know a lot. Uh, actually, if we're speaking about parenting, one thing that was really interesting about my dad, who really likes horror movies, is that like he didn't really. Neither of my parents really gave me a censor for what what I was allowed to watch mm. for most of my like after like you know being very young life. So, like, I would watch pretty gory horror movies with my sister and my dad at a pretty young age. Uh, with my dad always, like, you know, being like, yeah, it's it's a movie. It's not real life. You don't have to be worried about it. And so I think that's um, bled into my psyche as an adult. But for some reason, there's something about creepy kids where 
I don't know, man. I think it's my general like fear of children in my life in general. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the idea of like a child who like they draw a picture of your family and there's like an extra person named Bart and you're like, oh, who's that? And they're like, oh, he used to live in this house before we did. I'm like, mm -mm -mm, this kid's getting kicked out. <laughs> Find yourself another place to stay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll agree with that first part for sure. It is uh, a white parent thing to like control what like after age 10 what your kid can can and can't watch or play because i just remember always like being the like person where you could come to my house to play grand theft auto because my parents did not give a shit yeah uh where was i i don't know man uh throw this kid in the trash what, yeah <laughs> what's our advice get rid of him he's a, he's a bad kid he's broken yeah once again bartholomew creepy name uh the fact that he's bossy creepy how does a four-year-old even pronounce Bartholomew? I'm I'm a grown adult, and I mean I know I have a lisp, so it puts me at a disadvantage. But I can barely. And say you it. are in, you are not pronouncing it correctly. Bartholomew. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You kept calling him Bartholomew. Exactly. Like, how is their child <laughs> managing to say this? Interesting. All right, uh, we should get into this answer, right? I, we'll see if it makes sense. Um, answer. To put your mind at ease, the existence of Bartholomew says nothing about your son's mental state. Having imaginary playmates is a very normal part of growing up. In fact, according to a study published in the Journal of Developmental Psychology, by the time kids turn seven, two-thirds have had at least one imaginary friend. In preschool years, girls are more likely to have imaginary friends, but by age seven, boys are just as likely. Um, this is obviously like a self-reported study, so I don't know how much I trust these fucking kids. I think I would have lied about that at my age. I think I would have okay. lied to you and just said I had one. Interestingly, boys tend to have only male invisible friends, while girls are more flexible. 57% of those invisible friends are human, 41% are animals. Your son's imaginary friend may benefit him and you in a number of ways. Oh, and then there's like a huge list of bullet points. Okay, let's go through these. Imaginary friends can help stimulate creativity and imagination. Having, Bartho having Bartholomew along for the ride will make those long trips to Mars and the grocery store a little less lonely. They may help children cope with situations that trouble them by acting as a child's trusted confidant when there's no one else to tell their secrets to. Even preschoolers have issues that are too private for them to tell us. Children with imaginary friends tend to be more social than those without, and they're also more empathetic and able to imagine how others feel. They can help children tell right from wrong. Young children often have trouble with impulse control and may find it hard to stop themselves from doing anything that they think may be wrong. Blaming the imaginary friend for eating cookies before dinner may be a sign that your child understands right versus wrong, but isn't ready quite yet to take that complete responsibility. They can give you an important glimpse into your son's feelings. Listening to him bravely comfort poor Bartholomew, who's about to get a shot at the pediatrician, is a good clue that your son is more afraid than he's letting on. For the most part, don't make a big deal about your son's friend. That said, here are a few guidelines. Your son needs human friends too. If he doesn't have any of those or any interest in people who are real, talk to your pediatrician. Your son needs to take responsibility if he blames Bartholomew for breaking a glass. You can respond with something like, I don't care who did it, you're going to help me sweep it up. Be respectful. Remember Bart's name and don't call him Bart if you're not supposed to. Uh, greet him when you meet him and apologize if you sit on him. <laughs> uh, don't try to manipulate. Bartholomew's finished his dinner, why don't you finish yours? May sound clever to you, but it won't work on your son. And lastly, don't try to take over. Bartholomew is your son's friend, not yours. Can you imagine if a parent's idea of getting rid of the imaginary friend was to just like make it so that they're better friends with them? <laughs> oh yeah, Bartholomew and me were talking and he just like, he's like, you're being kind of annoying lately. 
Yeah, uh, when you went to bed last night, Bartholomew said he couldn't sleep, so we just hung out and had some brewskis, just talked about life. He's a pretty cool <laughs> dude, actually. I think we're going to hang out next week, too. <laughs> Find out one of your son- son's f- secrets that he thinks you don't know and pretend Bartholomew linked it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Make it that we can't uh, even trust his own conscience. <laughs> um. Okay, so most kids lose their imaginary friends by the age of seven, although many keep them for many, many more years. Sometimes they're forgotten, sometimes they're sent on a distant and permanent trip. Other times they perish in a horrible accident. That was a weird way to end it. Yeah, that made it sound like... Way to end that, it. That, that, yeah, that, that brought it back to the horror movie thing. So that is absolutely playing into the horror genre, right? That like one day your kid brings a, a picture of your family and then this time there's one less person and you're like what what happened to bart and he's just like oh something terrible happened <laughs> that's a that's i'm throwing that kid out that's all i'm saying um anything else on this one adrian uh no i don't got I, i'm just mo- i'm mostly just excited to get into my third segment if you want to do that uh, you have you have a third segment you wanted to bring in today? Yeah, so as I kind of warned you before this time, I gave you like plenty of warning this time. Uh, it's not going to be a topical tip. Um, so instead, given our theme of like parenting and being dads or whatever, I decided that we're going to do a game called um, Quotes from Dad or Dad. So these are pieces of advice or just general quotes that either come from my father uh, or Damon Anthony Dash, whose initials spell out dad. So, <laughs> this is advice from dad or dad. <laughs> okay, so Adrian, since you're bringing in a thing, uh, since you're bringing in Dame Dash for this third segment, one of the pioneers of Rockefeller music, I'd just like to, uh, mainly I know Dame Dash from being friends with Kanye and Jay-Z and his early work with Rockefeller Records before he kind of got pushed out by Jay-Z and Kanye. And we all know from Kanye's incredible, groundbreaking, influential debut album, The College Dropout. He has the song Get Him High, where he does name drop Dame when he says, why you think me and Dame cool? We're assholes. That's why we hear your music and fast forward. Why you think me and Dame cool? We assholes. That's why we hear your music and fast forward. Because we don't want to hear that weak shit no more. <laughs> Classic Ooh. line right there. And I guess Dame is known for being an asshole. Him and <laughs> that is mainly what he's known for in the hip hop music circle. So I assume that's going to be a good way to. Uh... And uh, from what I know from like watching interviews with him. He also is generally obsessed with money and success and doesn't actually have that much of either nowadays. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll use that little bit of knowledge to help me through your quiz. I'm glad that you're familiar with him. That's going to help you a lot. Uh, for the audience, yeah. Uh, Damon Anthony Dash, uh, American entrepreneur, record, record executive, film producer, director, and actor, best known for co-founder of uh, Rockefeller with Jay-Z. So a kind of a hip hop mogul is how he's been described. So what I have here is I have a list of quotes that I've kind of modified since my dad doesn't speak English well. And since I'm kind of like taking like things that I know that he would say and kind of modifying them, it's kind of modified quotes from my dad and then modified quotes from uh, Dame Dash. And uh, they're categorized into three categories. So either easy, medium or hard. You get one point if you correctly assign an easy one to one or the other. 
two points if you assign a medium level to one or the other, and then three points if you assign a hard one to one or the other. So for a maximum points of 71 points, I have a bunch of quotes here. Uh, we can go through them pretty quick because there's a lot of them, but some of them like have some funny stories to them or something that we can talk about. But um, I think do you want to do you want to give you like a quick synopsis of my dad before we do this so that you can kind of yeah yeah I think that. I know more uh, about Dame Dash than your dad who is pretty quiet and <laughs> yeah well what's really interesting is my dad's actually a very outspoken person if you if you ask him to say if if you ask him his opinion on anything um, so yeah my dad born in Guatemala um, um, very classic Latino he's just like worked a lot of odd jobs he's basically a handyman. He knows how to do like kind of everything that you have to do with your hands in terms of like fixing buildings or cars or anything in between. Uh, real kind of guy's guy um, and also very religious. So uh, he never, like I said in previous episodes, my parents never really forced religion upon me. It was always people who were like in my community. But uh, my dad is very much like a very traditional kind of religious person. I, I'm, I'm sure any of the quotes about God are going to be hard to distinguish, but okay. Just a very big believer in like the American dream of like hard work and bootstraps get you to where you need to go. Okay, cool. Do you want to get started? Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in whether right. this is going to be comedically like easy or comedically hard or what you're going for. Quote number one. Jobs are for lazy people who don't want to invest in themselves. Oh, Dame Dash. I've, I've heard him say that. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I've, I've heard Dame say that on The Breakfast Club. <laughs> All right uh here's the next one um there are certain things that i do because i'm creatively inspired and artistic dame dash another point for paul starting off good okay here we go um i saw a lot of dark shit in the streets of guatemala but i try not to let it get me down your dad hey paul you're on a roll (laughs) you're doing great all right okay uh here's another one um how can a man call another man boss? It's Dame like Dash. calling them daddy. Dame Dash heard him say it. All right. <laughs> there we go. I heard him say. Uh, okay. Another one. I forgot my glasses. <sighs> okay. Okay. The problem with this is Dame doesn't wear glasses, but he does wear sunglasses. But obviously that could very easily be your dad too. Um. Uh, I think I'm just going to go statistics on this one. We've had more with Dame, so I'll say your dad. Hey, Paul, killing it. Uh, yes, my dad is notorious for not bringing his glasses to restaurants, not being able to read the menu, and then asking my mom if she can borrow her glasses. <laughs> uh, okay, um, let's keep going. Life is about perspective, and I have a different perspective from most. I'm not trying to be in hip-hop at the age of 43 looking like an old man. <laughs> Dame hey paul you're good at this game you played this before (laughs) thank god (laughs) all right all right here we go uh advice from either my dad or from damon anthony dash if you want a soccer ball to go high when you kick it aim for the bottom (laughs) okay adrian's papa (laughs) (laughs) that is papa perez very good advice that he once gave to hunter and to me but at very different ages All right. Uh, Only a couple more left in the easy category. Um, It's unacceptable for a restaurant to serve a meal with pasta and mashed potatoes. (laughs) Too much starch. I really, I I wish from the bottom of my heart it was Dame Dash, but sadly I know it is your dad. How do you know it's my dad? (laughs) I know it's your dad. Why would... That is my dad, yeah. Why would Dame Dash put that out publicly in an interview? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> What's really funny is so I solicited from my brother and sister to make sure that the accuracy of my paraphrased dad quotes were correct. And uh, that was one where apparently my brother really latched onto where he was like, oh, my God, every time I see someone serve two starches at a restaurant, our dad's like voice rings in my head. Um, and it's interesting because I only remember him once saying this, but it just stuck out to me so hard because he was reviewing uh, the new Italian restaurant in uh, Lexington, Luce. And I asked him how it was. And he was like, they served me potato. They served me mashed potatoes and pasta. That's too much starch. <laughs> Your dad is a good point. That's actually great wisdom. Actually, I think uh, my brother and I both refuted it by saying that uh, mac and cheese and mashed potatoes is uh, a wonderful side dish to any Ooh. meal. Okay, I don't, I uh, don't okay. think Papa Perez listens to this podcast, but uh, Mama Perez. He does, yeah, with my mom. Mama, if you, if Mama Perez, if you, yeah, yeah, I want to make it very clear right now that I agree with your dad on this issue. You and your brother are in- ungrateful, yeah, ungrateful children to everything your father has given to you, including... It seems like the wisdom he shared with you right there, because that's a very true fact stated, and you guys both rebel. Is this your big fact for the episode, Paul? <laughs> Yeah, no, big fact. <laughs> that <laughs> I'll wait till the end, but yep, yeah, I think it may be. All right, here's the last of the easy questions. Uh, I'm sick of talking about it. No more Jay-Z questions. <laughs> Dame. So that's actually my dad. <laughs> Why did your dad say that? What's the story? No, th- th- yeah, that was Dame Dash. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad um, was a very big Jay-Z fan, and one day you were like, why are you such a big Jay-Z fan? He's like, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> no more questions. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, it's important for people to believe in themselves. Oh my god. Ooh, this one is harder. I'm gonna say... I'm gonna say... Your dad. I'm gonna go risky. So that's actually Dame Dash. <sighs> and what I love about that is it's like that Mike Birbiglia bit about uh him, him staying at the Lincoln Hotel and like every day they like leave you something with an Abraham Lincoln quote and one was like whatever you are be the best one you can be and he was like are we giving that to Lincoln was he really the first one to say that <laughs> a lot of the harder quotes or quotations are just uh really like random fucking sayings like that um it's easy for me to pick up new skills your dad. That is my dad. Good job. Your dad seems like a tinkerer. He seems like somebody who like picks up like machinery, learns how it works, breaks it down, and rebuilds it. So that's why I felt like he was a skilled oh, yeah. guy. He's a real alchemist tink tink man. For sure. Okay. Uh, a sex on the beach is always a good drink to order. Oh, 100% know who this is. Your your father. He, uh, he, he loves himself a sex on the beach because we made them in high school. Because your dad liked them. That is my dad. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh, he's not a big drinker. He gets drunk very quickly, and his favorite drinks are very fruity tropical drinks. Um, okay, here we go. I think I am extraordinarily motivated. Dame Dash. That is Dame Dash. Paul, killing it. All right. Uh, how about how about how about this one? Um, I am not a complainer. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. Um, obviously that could be either person. Um, from how you described your dad, it could very much be him. But I could see Dame saying it in an interview where he's being defensive, where people are like, oh, wh- how about when you got pushed out of Rockefeller? How did you feel about that? And he responds with, you know what, I'm not a complainer, like on and forward to like bigger business ventures. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to say that I'm, I'm going to go with Dame, but it could be either. Yeah. Trick question. That's both of them. You get the point either way. <laughs> <laughs> I have distinctly heard both of them say it. Uh, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Um, I know how cool I look when I look in the mirror. Dame. 
Dame Dame loves his expensive clothing, and I don't think your dad's like a very expensive clothing guy. Well, you're actually incorrect about that, but you are correct about the quote. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, I have been diabetic since I was young. I'm gonna have to assume it's your dad because you're diabetic, and that feels like a genetic thing. So that's actually my mom. That is Damon Dash. Ooh. Yep, Damon Dash is apparently type one diabetic. Mm. I look at my life and I have nothing to be mad about. Dame for sure. Yep, that's our Damey boy. <laughs> because your dad had you as a son, so he has something to be mad about. <laughs> <laughs> True that, dude. A hundred percent. Um, God doesn't make mistakes. Oh, that one is hard. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that one is your dad. That is my dad, dude. You are knocking this out. The yeah, park. I didn't feel like uh, Dane was humble enough to bring up God during an interview. So okay, that's sensible. You're using your good like uh, test taking clues here. Um, back when I was young, all of the girls wanted me. Oh my god, this one could be either. <laughs> oh, this could be either. Um, I think Dame, th- th- it's sort of my second reason why I guessed, uh, why I guessed your dad for the, uh, diabetes one. And this, also, it's just, I can't imagine Dame talking about his childhood because I've never heard him talk about his childhood. And, it, but it, being braggadocious does seem like Dame, but I think I'm gonna go for your dad. Just it, a childhood story seems more likely to be from your dad but this one's tough ding 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 paul you are 100 percent correct my dad has a very warped view of history (laughs) (laughs) um okay education is the key to success in life oh your dad that is my dad very big on the education um okay let's go to the next one okay anyone willing to work can get a job okay absolutely your dad because dame is dame is all about the whole you shouldn't work for other people you should make your own money owning a business hey there you go that is my dad's very ableist take (laughs) on the capitalism uh okay um always keep your finances separate from your spouse no matter how much you like her dame dash that's my dad (laughs) that is advice straight from my dad Dame was so much more likely to be like a bitter divorcee, but your dad, who's been happily married for seemingly most of his life, why would he think about that? I, they, <laughs> it works because it works for them. They don't combine their finances. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. Don't expect anyone to give you anything. If you really want something, you have to work hard for it. I, I feel like no matter what you say, I'm going to go ahead and assume it has to be both at some point, but. I'll take a guess that it's going to be Dame as a literal quotey. Very good. That is Damon Dash. Yes. Um, I don't think my dad ever said anything quite so trite. <laughs> um, let's keep moving. There's still a lot left to go. I don't know how much we're going to cut out, but we'll cut out the ones that don't have super funny reactions or anything. Um, but just know the points still add up to the original total. Uh, Riding Dirty was a pretty bad moment for hip hop. People should go back to listening to Blondie for a while. Um dame that's my dad <laughs> i should have guessed because it was in the hard <laughs> section but i thought maybe it was a double trick i didn't know if you were playing mind games nope this is a really fun story where i when i first learned how cassette tapes work and how you can take a cassette tape put into a radio and record live radio to get songs on the radio <laughs> i said radio a lot there but uh yeah i uh i took one of my dad's old blondie tapes because i didn't have like a blank tape recorder to use and so I took his Blondie tape, I recorded Ride and Dirty over it, 
And it was one of those like classic sitcom moments where my dad found out was really angry and made me sit down with him to listen to the tape to be like, well, let's see what this music is that you thought was better than Blondie. And so we sat and listened to Ride and Dirty. And my dad was like, this ain't it, chief. <laughs> no, Ride and Dirty is definitely better. That's so wrong of your dad. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the backup. Your dad not liking Chameleon Air makes me respect him less. <laughs> As you should. Uh, okay. Um, you can do something when you're 20 and still be paying for it when you're 40. Your dad. That's Damon Dash, oh, my dude. You really knew which ones were harder than easier. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. I never really considered myself super into hip-hop. Dame. That's Dame, yeah. <laughs> good good, good eye on that one. Um, God does things and puts certain things in front of you to see how strong you are. I'm gonna go Dame again just because he's... he's I think your dad, how you describe him, has a lot of struggles in life, but I don't think he sees himself as much as a victim as Dame does. So I think Dame is more likely to give advice based on, you know, somebody, is God is making me struggle, whereas your dad might not have as much of a chip on his shoulder as Dame does. Paul, you're absolutely correct. My dad listens to a lot of Ben Shapiro. He makes sure that he is not the victim. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Okay, we're getting to the um, kind of the end here. So let's let's go through some of the more kind of interesting ones i'm actually mixing up the medium and hard ones actually there's no hard ones left so this is all just medium level all right um i've been pulled over by cops countless times if you stay calm then you don't have anything to fear your dad that is my dad that is his really shitty take on police brutality <laughs> yeah i don't even that one should have been easy because i feel like dame just wouldn't even talk about that like <laughs> i guess so i think a lot of this came from the fact that i thought you'd have like a, a less intimate knowledge of damon dash <laughs> so maybe for the audience that was harder to uh guess but uh yeah, yeah that was that is um, true i don't think you would have expected me to have watched as many dame dash interviews as i have i'm not sure why i have either Dude, yeah, it, that was after my dad and I watched Queen and Slim and he gave his really stupid takes on police brutality, which it's like, my dad's a lot like the beekeepers that I talk to, where like, he assumes his experience is like the only thing he needs to make an informed opinion. <laughs> so this was very much like a survivorship bias thing where he was like, well, I've always been calm around cops and nothing happened to me. So if anything bad happens to you from a cop, it's because you weren't calm. And it's like, obviously, that's demonstrably incorrect. Uh, so we, we got into a big argument about that, but you know, you can't expect your parents to have all good takes. Um, okay. Uh, the loudest people in the room are often the most incorrect. Dame. That's my dad, my dude. Ooh. Slightly paraphrased, but, uh, yep, that's my papa. Okay. Uh, don't pursue something for money. Pursue it because it makes you happy. Uh, these really, like, I don't know if I... I'm just getting drunker or they're getting harder, but I'll, I'll go with your dad. That is my papa. That is, uh, unlike your mama, he, my parents and why we're all unemployed as Perez's, uh, they very much pushed a, uh, do what makes you happy, uh, narrative for us. Yeah, not, not the, not the my parent mindset at all. <laughs> all right. Um, there's a lot of latent homophobia in the culture and in our community. I, Damn. however, have no problem with it. That is my dad. Oh. Yep. Damn. That's coming straight from when my brother came out. I just, I just thought, I guess it's because you said you're updating some of the language, but when you said the word the culture, I was just like, oh, hip hop people say the culture, but I guess maybe he's. Oh no. Yeah. I, uh, I did that to trick you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, I see how it is. Um, I don't believe in bullying of any form, especially if they're trying to bully my children. <laughs> I don't believe in it, 
Especially if they're trying to bully my children? That seems nonsensical. W wouldn't it be... I, I, oh, I don't believe... Okay. Are you correcting my dad's grammar right now, Paul? Oh, okay. So I'm going to guess that's your dad. Nope, that's Damon Dash. You fucking idiot. You, you can't lie Look to me. Simple. <laughs> Bitch. You're not taking home that big money today, Paul. All right, Paul. Are you uh, ready to hear what your final score is? Um. Yep. And so you got... 53 points okay okay I, d I definitely got more than half the points uh i got a 74 out of 100 um 74 percent, not yeah, bad my dude not bad especially because i think i might have miscounted <laughs> i was adding up the points um <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll consider it. that's a that's a c right um i don't know i very yeah, rarely yeah. got below an 82 i very rarely got below b and that's how you play dad or dad um <laughs> uh, cool cool all right Big facts, no cap, and then let's get out of here. Big fact, uh, watch as many random interviews about Dame Dash on YouTube as you can fit. It might just come in handy. <laughs> it might just come in handy one day. Uh, grow weird obsessions with random media figures who say and do weird things and have grudges and are kind of unhappy people and intake everything they have to say because it might just come in handy. Honestly, great advice given what we saw today. <laughs> um, my no cap is... I mean, maybe it's just for me, but for me, it's unacceptable for a restaurant to serve a meal with pasta and mashed potatoes. <laughs> Too much starch. No cap. All right, Adrian, it's <laughs> no been, cap. and I'm not saying this lightly, it's been absolutely delightful. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is <laughs> this has been a great time. I think this might end up being one of our best episodes, despite all the fun stuff that gets cut anyways. <laughs> yeah, too bad we start with my less than thrilling article, but either <laughs> this way. This was great, dude. Bye, buddy. Uh, Excited for next week. Uh, yeah, I'll see you later, dude. Remember, black is beautiful and uh, black lives matter. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to catch me riding dirty. 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 My music's so loud. I'm swinging. They hoping that they gon' catch me riding Adrian, that is not real music. I turned down that noise. This, this is real music.